We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Nick Pilato. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at this season as a fan, we're coming to you after another Giants loss. It seems fathomable that they've lost another game. This losing streak continues to grow. This was a meltdown loss, to be honest, no matter how you look at it. Even though you can say the Giants are outmatched coming in, Eagles are not a good football team, and the Giants lost the game they should have probably won. They didn't adjust at halftime versus an Eagles team that did adjust. Um, the opposite happened, you know, Really, throughout the at the end of the game, you kind of saw the Giants' run defense wear down, a front wear down that was really good all game, um, but also some really good play calling by the Eagles to move guys into motion and to get them, you know, to get them in run plays that were advantageous based on how they used pre snap motion, which we saw in the overtime on back to back plays. So I want to start there, Nick. I want to figure out, in your opinion, just from watching the broadcast, and I know this will be a better question for you once we dive into the All 22, but. What happened uh, in those final few drives for the Giants defense and how did they break down? And I'm including the overtime drive. It just seemed like the up-tempo initially really, I don't want to say took the Giants off guard, but the Giants struggled to defend that up-tempo and then that quick screen game that they were utilizing against this Giants front. And it had me sitting there in my chair, on my couch, on my fat ass going, why is James Betcher not adjusting to this right away because I don't remember exactly what drive, at least the timing of it, but the drive where the Eagles really started to hit their stride. And I believe Boston Scott ended up scoring on that specific drive I'm alluding to. They just kept hitting quick screens to Scott, quick screens, and the Giants were not guarding it near the line of scrimmage. They weren't really accounting for it, and it was one of those things where I look at it and I'm like, this team does not have any weapons right now outside of Zach Ertz. You know, you still have Dallas Goddard. Why are they not protecting against this big screen? They seem like maybe they were playing too far back. Couldn't really tell from that broadcast angle. But what really happened there? Why was the Giants allowing the Eagles to do everything that – like really the only thing the Eagles could do to beat the Giants? The Giants seemed to allow them 
to do that. And I just want to know why Betcher wasn't adjusting to that. I would love to see what was happening on the back end of the defense. And I think that's a great point, Nick, because you look at a game like this and you kind of compare it to maybe a, a strong coaching staff, one that has it together. And a strong coaching staff would look at a game like this and say, the only way the Eagles are going to beat us today is via the run game, which we can shut down. We've proven it in past weeks. We've improved the front enough to the point where we can shut that down. And Zach Ertz or Goddard, the tight ends, but mostly Zach Ertz. And what Bill Belichick would have done in a situation like this is just take Ertz out of the game, make them beat you in another way. Um, and same thing goes for the screen game. Another thing they could have just taken out because Carson Wentz was not really completing passes vertically the entire game. He finally completed one in overtime on a rollout to his right. But I mean, this is a quarterback who struggled big time with ball placement in this game. I was not impressed with Carson Wentz one bit in this game. And I know there's all the excuses about his receivers. Um, but, you know, he still has a pretty good offensive line. And even though he did lose left uh, right tackle Lane Johnson in this one, but the point is, there was one way the Eagles were beating. There are two ways the Eagles were beating. The screen games, some quick stuff to the receivers and to the running backs, like you mentioned, and then with Ertz. And it's like, how do you not take that away? And if you're not going to go into the game taking that away, which is fine, then at least come out of halftime taking that away. So I agree with you on that, Nick, and it's really troubling. But it's more of the same with this giant staff. And it's a problem that I don't think can, you know, I don't think it's excusable. I don't think it's defendable. And I don't think it's something that, will change if this staff stays in place. And hopefully, you know, Mara and Tish can understand that. But let's talk to him. You know, let's pivot to a little bit of more lighter note. How about let's talk about Eli Manning because, you know, 38-year-old veteran makes his return to the lineup. Obviously, timing is going to be off. You assume no rapport with the receiver, especially a young guy like Darius Slayton. And then they come out in the first half and light it up with 99 yards receiving for Slayton, uh, two big touchdowns. Eli Manning threw a couple nice balls out there to Slayton. Um, so before we dive into Slayton, cause he's definitely the bright spot of this game. Um, even though again, a little questionable why the Giants didn't design any plays to get him the ball in the second half and how he could possibly end up with zero receptions after dominating the Eagles cornerbacks in the first half. But again, that's a coaching error, but let's talk about Eli Manning. What did you make of Eli and his return to the lineup here? The timing was definitely off, especially on some of those earlier throws even, and I know Eli kind of came out early. I want to say it was a third and five to Shepard, and there were a couple of throws that were either behind or just a little bit high, and that could be a timing thing because Eli hasn't worked with the first team because Daniel Jones has been starting, obviously. I thought Eli stepped up big on some of those situations that really deep pass to Slayton was perfectly placed on the outside shoulder, throwing dudes open, recognizing the coverage. You could tell he's much more adept, obviously, because he is a veteran than Daniel Jones at the line of scrimmage and checking into the right play to maximize Saquon Barkley and to maximize some of the receivers around him. He has that on Daniel Jones. That's an obvious statement, but... He still struggled sometimes with the ball placement. I think that was more credited to the timing and things along those lines. But I thought he stepped in, hostile environment. Again, and he played, I would say, at an adequate level. You know, he put the team in a 17 to 3 lead on the road against a team that's fighting to get into the playoffs. And then. In the second half, it just kind of got wasted away, which we can kind of talk about here in a little bit. But I would say he played at an adequate level and made some big throws that made my giant fan nostalgic heart just uh, remember the good old days, I guess you could say. But, I mean, he's trying to showcase himself for a job later on in the future, possibly for another team. Made some big throws, also missed a couple, and he's still an immobile Eli Manning. But um, I can't believe the Giants still ended up 
finding a way to lose this game, despite the fact that the Eagles lost Alshon Jeffrey, could barely move the ball. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of the Giants 2019. Yeah, as far as Eli goes for me, Nick, it looked like at first he was kind of real rusty. And I thought the ball, like for me with Eli, the issue has never really been how the balls release releases from his hands and his ball placement and anything like that, which is, as you guys know from listening to this podcast, is keeps offenses, you know, on the right track. But it was off at the beginning of this game. And then it settled down for those two drives. And he made some really nice throws, including one on the rollout to his right. But then as the game moved on, he missed a few throws. He talked about the third and five high to Shepard. A few other balls were just not excellent ball placement. Um, some of the same problems he's had really throughout the years. And ultimately, you know, part of it was Shermer going into a shell in the second half and not attacking with a lead, trying to kind of ice the game. But ultimately, the Giants were 2 of 12 on third downs. And as we know from following this team this season, they've been much, much better with Daniel Jones at quarterback on third downs. They've been way closer to 50%, and they've been in much longer third down situations. Eli had a bunch of third and shorts here that he missed in this game, especially in the second half. So obviously, I mean, it was nice to see Eli get those those throws in. You saw the zip on his ball. Um, let's be honest, even at 38, in my opinion, at least, Nick, I think he has, still has more zip on his ball than Jones at times. Um, and I think it was really a full display on those two drives. But at the same time, uh, you know, in the end, it was more of the same on third downs. And that's really what stalled the offense. Like I said, they were two of 12 on third downs. They haven't been that bad on third downs in quite some time. And ultimately, they had 21 minutes, 21 minutes, or almost, okay, 21.59. So almost 22 minutes of time possession. But the Eagles almost had 43 minutes of time possession. So that's just, you're not going to win a game often when that's the case, even in a game where, you know, the Eagles had one turnover and the Giants had none in this in this game. So really, they won the turnover battle, got crushed in time possession, but mostly just, you know, had it hand them on those third downs. And a lot of that is Eli. So, you know, this wasn't a game for me, Nick, where I, I looked back and I said, okay, maybe the Giants made the wrong decision moving on from Eli. But flipping it over to the defensive side of the ball, I think they really freaking deserve some credit for this game. Obviously, in the end, the defense, you know, falls apart to some extent as they're on the field for possession after possession after possession. The Eagles had nine freaking offensive possessions midway through the third quarter. It's a ridiculous amount. The Giants oftentimes go entire games without having nine offensive possessions. And over those nine first possessions for the Eagles, they had just 126 yards of offense, just six first downs. They were three of 12 on third downs, and they had just three points midway through the You've got to give some credit to this Giants defense. The people who stood out to me specifically in this game were Leonard Williams, who I thought had his best game as a Giant, Marcus Golden, who continues to hustle and make plays. I thought Julian Love, I mean, he's just a player to me, Julian Love. He's around the football a lot. He's really moving into that safety role that he's kind of probably, you know, still in over his head at pretty well, though. I mean, he makes plays. I thought those three really stood out to me. And obviously your boy Dalvin Tomlinson and, and Dexter Lawrence on a key third down stop. And, you know, you just saw fourth down stop, third down stop. You saw really good run defense and really good play from the front pressure on Wentz at times and forcing Wentz to kind of throw these low balls and bad spots. And that's also, you know, on, at times on Wentz. What did you make of the Giants defense in that first half, really? And then also who stood out to you the most from the broadcast angle? It seemed like Leonard Williams really stood out. I mean, he was batting balls. I think he's batted at least two on my count at the line of scrimmage. He was just getting pressure, beating, winning one-on-ones, those kind of situations. Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill, Julian Love, he had a couple really nice plays in space, things along those lines. And in the second half, I just want to kind of – because the defense ended up kind of falling apart like you said. But we have to think about the fact that they were – 
out there for a 10-play drive, an 11-play drive, and a 14-play drive, back-to-back-to-back, with the Giants' offensive drives being a 3-play drive, a 4-play drive, and another 3-play drive, and followed by another 3-play drive. Like There was really nothing that this defense could have done at that point. They were so tired being out there, so I don't want to harp on that. The defense played hard in a very, very hostile environment. I mean, Marcus Golden getting sacks. I mean, he's been somebody that I really, really hope that this team can retain. I just don't know if they're going to be able to. I don't know what his asking price is going to be. Same with Leonard Williams at this point. He's stating Aaron Donald type of money. That's huge type of money, and I don't know what's going to happen with that. We'll have to see how that materializes when the offseason comes, but he really stuck out in this game. Dalvin Tomlinson always making plays. If you know my Twitter, you know I always highlight his plays because he's always playing at a high level. Julian Love. And then you got guys like Sam Beal. Kind of need to see a little bit more. It gets a little bit grabby. gets beat on some routes, but he really was going up against wide receivers that are very, very low on the totem pole of being a professional wide receiver, to be nice, because Alshon Jeffrey was hurt. Nelson Aguilar did not play in this game. But that that front, Dexter Lawrence, that front that we always talk about, it's the strength of this team. And they showed up against a pretty solid offensive line. And just down the stretch, they were just too tired. They were out there way too much. Time of possession battle was so in favor for the Eagles. And what can you really expect at that point? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it, Nick. The Eagles were on the field on offense the entire game. Part of that is I think Shermer went into an offensive play calling shell in the second half. We saw tons of runs. We saw, you know, not the same downfield throws and not the same design plays. Even on that flea flicker that people are, you know, bashing me for on Twitter because there was Golden Tate running open. It's still a long developing play on third and 14 with eight defenders at the sticks and a one-on-one for a defensive end with no run responsibility against Nate Solder, who's been terrible all season and was terrible against the Knights. With a 38-year-old quarterback in the pocket who, if, you know, your tackle does break down, is never escaping that. And that's exactly what happened. It was a blown dead play. didn't have the time it needed. And that's the state of the Giants here. And that was his most aggressive play call the entire half. He really went into his shell there. And like you said, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves here, Nick. We're talking about 42 minutes of time possession for the Eagles there. And there was even a time before the Eagles' uh, scoring drive to make it 17-10 where the Giants had forced four straight three and outs for the Eagles' offense. Four straight. And that was like – and yet they – and we were still midway through the third quarter because – the Giants offense has been do, was doing the same exact thing. In the second half, this Giants offense at 29 yards. That's ridiculous. They've been outscored now in the second half of the past two games, 35-3. to three. If that's not coaching adjustments, if that's not lack of coaching adjustments, I should say, at halftime, then I don't know what is. And I'm at the point where there's no return for this coaching staff. There are a lot of issues with this team, for sure. But for me, the coaching is still the one that stands out the most. Um, but, you know... It is what it is at this point. The Giants are going to have to battle through this thing, and we'll see what happens there. But I do want to talk about some of the kind of the more positive aspects of this game as well. And I thought that Barkley was running a lot better or at least had a lot more holes to run through, and it seemed like there were there was more space in the running game. Even with Eli Manning, and you know the Eagles cheated to stop the run with Eli Manning. In. And I had a little in-game conversation with one of our followers and one of the listeners from our podcast, Nick. Jeremy uh, Mykulak, I'm sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong, Jeremy, but what he was asking was, and I wanted to bring this to you, Nick, um, was did this, did Barkley's success in the first half running the ball have anything to do with Eli Manning checking the Giants into better run calls? It's something that Booger McFarland mentioned on the broadcast. I wasn't sure what you thought about that and if there's any validity to that. I would imagine. I mean, I think so. I would like to see the all 20 see if he was making those checks in the line of scrimmage and things. But that's something that we've seen Eli do in the past. We know it's in his repertoire, whereas Daniel Jones is more of a neophyte with this 
this offense, this whole offensive scheme and everything like that. He's learning it still, and it's going to suck when Shermer's going to be fired at the end of the year. He's going to have to learn some, a whole other one. But Eli obviously has a better grasp of it. He knows what he's doing in those situations. And that's what I at least picked up on in the first quarter. And it was funny. I was watching the game with uh, my brother and my dad, and I was like, see, Eli's going up to the line of scrimmage. I want to say he went up and he checked one time, and I was like – and I made that statement. I was like, he's checking up the line of scrimmage. That's good. And then Booger came in right after it and made like the same statement. And I was like, see, Booger and me for the first time ever, we're on the same page with something. It's kind of funny. But I do believe that has a lot to do with it. That veteran leadership, that just kind of awareness of and that calmness of knowing and being in that situation before and checking into, OK, there's a box that they're inviting to run. Let's run the football or, hey, let's audible to this side. Get the offensive line on the same page, recognize the mic, set the line, and then go. Things along those lines. And I think Eli Manning, well, I know Eli Manning has that in his uh, arsenal. And I do, I feel like, uh, I feel like Jeremy is uh, accurate with his statement there. Yeah, it was a great conversation. And I appreciate that one. And any fan who wants to reach out to us during the games, during the week, we always love to chat you know off the podcast as well and it's something to to keep an eye on because you know you'll see that improvement with jones and, and hopefully parkley as they move forward in his career jones still has a lot to learn just like any other rookie and he's you know obviously known as a pretty bright guy and he's done a really good job in my opinion of getting them to the right solution on third down situations in the passing game again you know all season long the giants have been pretty successful in third and long situations way longer than this game and again two of 12 tonight on third downs passing the ball um yeah, so yeah, Dan, we, we, we've talked about this, too, on a couple of different podcasts, how Daniel Jones hasn't really – we don't believe – we're not in the locker room, but we don't believe Daniel Jones has that ability at the line of scrimmage yet that to check out of plays and audible and notice things and make those kind of adjustments. Eli, we've seen him do that for 16 years, essentially, and I think it's something that he obviously adds on to this offense, but – I'm not against the fact that Pat Shermer, Dave Gettleman, and this team went with Daniel Jones back in that Tampa Bay game. We've got to look towards the future. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it's not like the Giants offense really was moving the ball very well. Exactly, yeah. Consistently. Like I said, 2 of 12 on third downs on the field for 21 minutes um, only in this game against an Eagles team that, like I said, <laughs> went four, three and out four times in a row. So you really – it's tough for them to have that kind of time possession advantage, but that's the type of team the Giants are. The Giants are the type of team that would lose this game, which is crazy. They should have not, not lost a game like this. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, going into the game, what you think of either team, because clearly we now know, and we should have known before this, the Eagles are not a good football team. It doesn't even matter if they win the NFC East. I don't think a single Giants fan who listens to this podcast should fear them making a run this year because they are not making a run. Their passing offense stinks. Carson Wentz is not as is not playing as well as people. I I don't know what to make of Carson Wentz. I did not think he played good at all tonight. A lot of his yards came on screens, and a lot of his yards came on you know a, a few of his biggest plays. His two biggest plays came on blown coverages, which are just typical of this Giants defense. Um, but you know, at some point you have to wonder, you know, where. Where the Giants can go to get wins, because obviously, you know, looking at it from the 30,000 foot view, Nick, everybody here knows it's probably better if they lose to get Chase Young. He's a rare prospect. And after him, there's no one really like him in this class. But the Giants can't be a team that loses this many close games and this many winnable games and expect to kind of take that jump quickly, because that's what every fan wants. Every fan wants them just to be competing again for the playoffs. So in your opinion, what exactly is the best step forward for this Giants franchise in the sense that should they continue 
it, are you still stand by keeping Gettleman, getting rid of Shermer? Are you kind of now on the clean house boat? It depends, man. And I don't want to stand on both sides of the fence here, but who are you bringing in to replace Gettleman? Right. That is like my main thing. Like I'm, I'm all, and I think it's easy to sit here and say clean house. It, it obviously has not worked out, but who are you replacing Gettleman with? And then that goes gets into the whole argument. Okay, if you don't replace Gettleman, why would you want Gettleman to be the person to hire the next head coach? Which is another conversation that can be had. So I just feel like Tish and Mara, they need to come together here and really cross all their T's, really dot all their I's, and establish somebody moving forward. It's just I'm not 100% sure on who that person is at the general manager position. I think the head coach, I think there's a lot of good options for like much more than there were when Pat Shermer was elected as the head coach. You know what I'm saying? I think there are some interesting options this year at head coach. When you talk about Matt Rule, you could talk about Ron Rivera, you can go on to Josh McDaniels if he's going to leave New England, yada, yada, yada. No one knows yet. But when it comes to the general manager, who exactly is out there? And yeah. I wish I had an answer, but I don't. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like some fans think like it's just a kind of more – Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, Heh, I lost my mojo. Or, we avoid talking about it altogether with excuses like, Honey, I had a long day at work. Or, Sorry, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Doesn't that sound fantastic? The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. And Roman will ship that medication to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple as well. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like some fans think like it's just a kind of more, more snap your fingers and there's so many good candidates, but I think... GM is a really tough position. There's so many responsibilities and so and experience matters a lot. Now, it's interesting when you hear Albert Breer of MMQB mention that Nick Casario, Casario, who's, you know, largely known as kind of the number two there in New England with Belichick um, and really known as, you know, viewed as a very bright spot in that franchise's success story, is finally a free agent. And Breer reported that he's interested in testing the market and seeing what there what there is out there, maybe getting out of Belichick's shadow in, in a sense there um and so if casario is interested in, in you know beer mentions both carolina and new york jobs would intrigue him if they open up it will be interesting to see what he values as 
more appealing to him, the Carolina Panthers situation or the Giants situation. And on the second note, it'll be interesting to see if the Giants can use that to kind of piggyback them to a position where, okay, we'll take a chance, we'll move on from Gettleman, or we'll move him into a different role for this franchise, kind of more towards behind-the-scenes stuff he used to do before he went over to Carolina in the first place, because there's some upside to someone in Casario. I'm not going to sit here and, t- and pretend like I understand who's the best GM and not the best GM candidate for this team, because it's Anyone who tells you they do know is really just making it up. You can look at offensive systems and defensive systems and play calling and in-game situations and all sorts of factors for coaches when you're evaluating that. But it's a lot harder to do for somebody behind the scenes in an organization like Casario is for New England right now. So it's just a a name to keep an eye on. But, you know, I'm kind of going to be consistent with where I'm at, Nick. And I do think that they can stand to upgrade both at head coach um, and obviously at general manager as well. For me, at least. Um, let's talk about some other key points of this game and some players that I wanted to touch on. We'll start with the good, and that's Darius Slayton. Four receptions for 99 yards. I mean, this kid, to me, he's he's the player. He's a starter in the NFL. He could be something even more than that. His acceleration after the catch is super impressive. Like you said to me before the podcast, Nick, he's just so smooth. It's crazy. Um, and even the problems we thought he would have, like catching the football, has not been an issue. And, you know, would he just be a deep play threat like he was at our, at Auburn? That has not been an issue either. And it's funny because he had a big play that I always remember when the Giants drafted him watching. It was against Purdue, I believe, in their bowl game last year, Auburn, where it wasn't a deep play because that was what most of his highlight tapes were. It was a quick throw. And it was a lot after the catch. And that's kind of what we saw in his first touchdown tonight, a really explosive play after the catch. Where do you make a slate? The Giants have something more than just kind of a number two starter here. Do they have a potential big playmaker for the offense? It seems like they do. And I know in the beginning of the season when doing this podcast, we always kind of hit on Slayton and all the good things that he has done game in and game out. And we haven't really gave him that nod as this person who could potentially be that big play threat for this offense. He's not a niche player anymore. It's way past that at this point. Like this is a player that you can build around at the wide receiver position. And it's also interesting because you hear giants fans talk about, Oh, we got to get Jerry Judy and we got to get this guy. We got to get and like talking about first round wide receivers. And as good as those prospects are, and as much as I like those prospects, this team needs a lot more. And I think getting somebody like Slayton in the fifth round, is such a huge advantage for this team. I mean, we not Gettleman for a lot of things, and I do believe that is warranted, but you have to kind of give him that tip of the cap on nailing that fifth-round pick, nailing the Connolly fifth-round pick, potentially. Granted, let's you know temper expectations a little bit. He had a couple good games, but those are really good late-round values that could pan out incredibly well for this team. And I'm sure that Gettleman will be pitching that to <laughs> the ownership when it comes time for his job. But Slayton was a really good find. And he's somebody who can stretch the field. He's more refined as a route runner. I really think he took the coaching well, as we've talked about on this podcast as well. And I'm incredibly excited for his future with this team. It's not just a him and Daniel Jones chemistry thing. He just showed it with Eli Manning, too. That's not exactly the easiest thing to do when you're a rookie wide receiver. I know one of them was a blown coverage, but he just torched the Eagles. The Eagles are abysmal on the back end, but this is a fifth-round rookie doing this. So I'm I'm very, very positive on this kid's future, and I think he can be a one or two for this team. More than likely a two, but still, really, really like what he's uh, showing. 
For me, I think he has a chance to be a one, Nick. I really do. I mean, some of the traits that I just see are just that acceleration after the catch, that second gear. It's kind of like Ingram-esque to me. And Everett Ingram, to me, has a really good second gear on this team. And then it's kind of that ability to get in and out of his breaks and create separation that way, which I'm also seeing. So for me, I don't really see – my definition of a one is different than other people's. I'm not looking for the next Julio Jones, Odell Beckham that I have to pay $20 million a cap hit to and you know barely wins you any games or flips any games for you. I'm more so looking at a bunch of players like – Slayton who can make big plays and honestly I mean if you look at the numbers it's kind of crazy with Slayton uh NFL research tweeted this out he's the first rookie to have multiple games of 100 yard 100 plus yards receiving and two receiving touchdowns in a single season since the 2014 season when Mike Evans and Odell Beckham Jr. did it I mean those are big names to be in the same breath as I'm not saying he's going to be anywhere near as good as those two players but like I mean, what he's doing is super impressive. It's super impressive, Dan, and I want this to not be unnoticed by just the general masses. People might chalk that up. People who do not watch the Giants, like, hey, it's all garbage time. There's no one. It's not that. These are coming in like pivotal times of the game, early on in the game, when coverage isn't just soft coverage or anything like that. He's winning in very, very uh, nuanced ways. He's winning in big situations. He wins at the line of scrimmage, which isn't something you see from. Day three picks. He knows how to win at the line of scrimmage. He knows how to fire his feet. He knows how to release outside, release inside. Right. He's incredibly good with those things. Like it's it's definitely uh there's a lot of things to be excited about with him. And in the season that is lost, he's definitely one of those just bright shining stars that Giants fans can look at and be like, okay, hopefully you can be the positive from 2019 because there's not much else. Yeah, and I would I would ask uh, Giants fans to go back and take a look at Jerry Reese's 11 draft classes and find me the amount and just pinpoint me and tell me you can just tweet at me the names of day three picks uh how about fifth round or later that panned out we have mod bratch on kevin boss um but both of those are from one draft class his first draft class and i mean hey don't forget michael johnson from that same draft class yeah i mean obviously devin Kennard has been okay with the lions this year was better last year with the lions was okay with the giants but you know Player evaluation, individual talent evaluations, that's the one thing I do have some confidence in getting with if the Giants are going to stick with him. Obviously, for me, it's not enough. I need somebody who understands positional value more and has a better grasp of the trade market, um, (laughs) to be completely honest. But at the same end, has a better track record in free agency, too. Uh, I, I agree with I, I do agree with you on all those things you just said, Dan. But how much of that is attributed? Okay. Gettleman, do you believe Gettleman was really just trying to win now, kind of squeeze as much out of Eli right now? So some of these maybe moves that we look at with kind of like a crooked eye, was him trying to do that for the Mares because he promised that initially? And now that it's like, okay, we suck. We need to rebuild. Do you think he would take a different approach? I'm not so sure because that argument would make some sense to me if they hadn't gone and traded a third rounder for Leonard Williams, because to me, the Leonard Williams thing, the argument for trading for him now is, well, we get him in the system. We can get him before he hits the open market, yada, yada, yada. But Leonard Williams wasn't building any kind of resume in the first eight games of the season with the Jets of a guy who the Giants couldn't get to when the open market hit and said, listen, you don't have to move your family at all. We're going to give you probably the best offer you're going to get on this entire market because we see you as the special player and you're coming off a pretty down season with the Jets. So they would, in my opinion, there's no doubt in my mind that whatever they end up signing him for is exactly what they could have signed him for if they had not traded for him. So instead, what they got was eight games during a season where they were already two and eight and it was over. And these are just like the type of decision. So because of that, 
I think that was another win now decision, Nick. And I think at that point, you have to realize you have a rebuilding team. I mean, by that point, you've already benched Eli Manning. You have two wins with a rookie quarterback. You have a ton of cap space opening up this offseason. So that's what kind of slows me down from that train of thought, Nick. It's that, you know, at this point, when he made the trade for Leonard, he should have been at the point where he's he's obviously not trying to win now for Eli Manning anymore. Um, but that does bring me to another point and another, you know, big decision of the Gettleman era. And that was to sign Nate Solder. And I don't think anyone expected that it would get this bad with Solder. I never expected this. I thought that at worst they'd be getting a solid player, but it looks like at this point they've gotten a player who may be, you know, at the point of like, you have to just cut him and take the dead cap hit. Like, can the Giants, I'll ask you this. First of all, you can you can evaluate his play tonight if you want first, Nick. But more importantly, can the Giants afford to go into the 2020 season with Nate Solder as their left tackle? That's the uh, the million dollar question right there. Uh, I he's not as bad as Eric Flowers, and I hate saying that using that as the measuring stick because Eric Flowers was so bad for this team. But I do think he could have value at right tackle. I think Nate Solder. When New England didn't resign him, it's always a red flag when New England doesn't want to bring you back. And having Tom Brady as your quarterback, and say what you want about his athleticism with Tom Brady, he knows how to maneuver a pocket. He knows how to get the ball out of his hands really quickly, something that the Giants quarterbacks might not do as well. Granted, Eli was pretty on top of that tonight. But Solder is susceptible to being beat inside, and he's not good at being left on an island. And that is not something you want in a left tackle. But left tackles, as we've said this entire podcast all year, do not grow on trees so you need a replacement for him you already have him under cap cutting him and not having a replacement would be foolish he's somebody who is marginal at left tackle right now that is it's not solid it's not adequate it's marginal it's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination but you need a replacement he's somebody you're looking to improve upon if there's a prospect you like in the draft you can go and draft that player somebody you like maybe a little bit later you can draft him before other teams may may want to reach quote unquote for that type of player there's someone in free agency that you want to bring in to compete with him and not at a huge contract or anything like that but tackles are going to get signed dude at pretty big contracts like solder did that's why whenever a big tackle is up and free agency, they reset the market because these guys who are 310 right. plus pounds, 300 pounds, who can move like them and mirror like pass rushers who are 275 pounds with the kind of yeah. speed and burst that they have, they don't like they're not everywhere. So I, I, it's something that may have to happen. He might have to be our left tackle going in. It's not an ideal situation, but they're very, very hard to replace. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with this, Nick, and I think it comes down to a bunch of factors for starters. You know, most likely uh, there won't be anyone who hits the market that is, you know, obviously Anthony Costanzo, there's, it's possible that Anthony Costanzo hits the market. I highly doubt the Colts would let that happen. And either way, the Giants probably won't be the first one to, to try to want to get Costanzo there. So really, you have to do it through the draft, like you said. And I think maybe one consolation if the Giants don't land Chase Young would be that they can get Thomas or one of these offensive tackle prospects. I'm not as sold on them on them being day one impact players as maybe someone else might be. And I'm still kind of trying to find out, you know, I'd love to take a look back at recent first round tackles taken and, and how many of them were able to be day one, week one, rookie impact left tackles. And like you said, I think part of it is just 
supply and demand. It's really a difficult position to find. You have to find guys who have the footwork to mirror these super, these super athletic pass rushers, and it's becoming harder and harder in today's NFL. So it's a problem, the Nate Solder problem, and I'm not sure it has a solution. And that's just a crappy place to be in as a fan, knowing that you may not have a solution uh, for blindside protection for you know, a quarterback will be going into a second year, the most important time most people believe for a young quarterback's development. So definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, anyway, Nick, is there any other players you felt like we didn't dive into on this on this recap of the game or just kind of we need to take a look at the all 22 and go from there? Yeah, definitely the latter. But I mean, there are still those players that we highlighted that defensive front Julian Love. That's another bright spot. And that's another tip of the cap, as we say, to Dave Yetman and his evaluation, his ability to draft some of these players. Uh, I thought B.J. Hill played a little bit better in this game. I don't know how many snaps. I don't have his number on the top of my uh, head or on uh, PFF or anything like that. But he had a couple plays where I was like, yep. okay, B.J. Hill, there you go, getting in there, making the most of the limited snaps that you are getting. Lorenzo Carter didn't flash really, uh, which is uh, disappointing. I still think those traits are there. They just need to be harnessed. He's still a raw player. And, uh, nah, just willing to uh, – can't wait to dive into that uh that all 22 there but it's, yeah, uh, it's still nostalgic to all of us man so, yeah you know. no no i hear you it's gonna be weird to be watching number 10 on the all 22 but you know obviously that second half is still a little bit disappointing and kind of left a sour taste but i am actually interested to see baker and beal and kind of the snaps they traded off there and see you know how they looked in coverage because those guys are going to be key if they can get chase young on this defense i think they can make a massive step forward but if they want to make an even bigger jump like a 49ers jump because remember this 49ers defense was trash in 2018 it was not good at all people were talking about it as one of the worst events in the league and now it's one of the best and that's kind of what bosa can do he's helped out armstead a bunch he's helped out all, all the guys along that defense witherspoon department. all that I mean, he helped out the whole entire secondary dude. secondary gets help but a lot of it does come down to some of those young secondary players also evolving and obviously they have fred warner at linebacker and giants are going to still need to find one of those kind of athletic linebackers to pair with Connolly. That's a big offseason need without a doubt. And one of the guys I liked was Shaq Thompson. And then boom, he got re-signed by the Panthers. That that's a tough one to see. But you know, like I said, there's still a long way to go. Mostly Nick, I'm excited to dive into all 22 to see that. But I, I will be honest, I am still taking a peek forward to this offseason because I think it's going to be a really exciting time to talk Giants football with you because we're going to get to go to potentially you know, a coaching change, potentially assistance coming into the staff that we can evaluate, maybe a general manager change, a crazy free agency for sure, and then another draft with top picks. It's too bad they won't have that you know top 65 pick in round three, but besides, besides that, they'll get one back for Collins, so they're still going to have something there. Um, to close out day two of the draft. But on that note, guys, we will speak to you a little bit later than normal in the week because um, just because of our schedules we work this week, we're probably going to be recording the All-22 a bit later this week. But stay tuned. We're going to break down what we saw there. Thanks again to everybody who's tuning in and new viewers joining the podcast. I know it's tough to stick through stick through us, uh, you know, stick with us through this kind of season. Um, but we do appreciate it. And hopefully we're offering some analysis on the roster and the players we see that could be solutions moving forward and the players vice versa that could, you know, be goners moving forward. Speaking of a goner, I think Kareem Martin, who who finally got some snaps today, is, is going to be a goner. I, I, I just thought it was interesting to see him back in the lineup, Nick. But, you know, we'll see as we move forward where this Giants roster goes. Um, but anything else you want to add, Nick, before we sign off uh, until we get to all 22? Yeah, Martin didn't do much coming off the IR. But again, man, DeAndre Baker, and I know he's just so maligned and 
rightfully so at times, but those traits, I still see them on the tape. He's still in good position. He's still in phase. And I mean, I just, he could be something like a lot of people labeled him a bust. I mean, there were beat reporters labeling, labeling him a bust after like week six and i just want to be patient with him and i hope that he kind of gets his mind right because you kind of see him in position sometimes and hope that hey this first round draft pick he uh can play like it if everything is uh right because the trades are there yeah there's no doubt about it i think me and you are both are still pretty high on baker and that's that's someone again like i really want to see on tape and same with love because i really like what i saw from him and it's going to be interesting to see how he looks on the All-22 from kind of a different angle uh, that kind of highlights better what the safeties are doing. Um, so anyway, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And we'll definitely speak to you later this week. And there's more Giants football to digest. So have a great rest of your week. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.